You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. Faced with a rapidly growing COVID-19 surge, six Bay Area counties over this past week have called an early start to the governor's stay-at-home order. On this edition of KCBS In-Depth, we'll be hearing from one county that decided not to. I'm Keith Menconi, and that county would be San Mateo. So in the first half of the program, we're going to be discussing the 15-point statement issued by their health officer on Monday, outlining his doubts about the course the state has chosen to take. Then in the second half, well, the whole point of these health orders is to keep people out of risky situations. But which settings really pose the greatest COVID danger? It's absolutely confusing, and it's, it's really difficult to figure out what the data is showing. We'll dig into what researchers have been able to find out so far about the science of COVID transmission. First up, though, COVID playbooks diverge. Winding back the clock just a little bit, when health officers from five Bay Area counties announced their stay-at-home order last Friday, they were asked by reporters, why isn't San Mateo County joining you? The response at the time? You'll have to ask them. Well, we got some pretty definitive answers earlier this week when San Mateo County Health Officer Dr. Scott Morrow released a statement explaining his decision to hold off. We're going to hear a bit more about the thinking that went into that. Uh, Dr. Morrow was unable to join us, but instead we're going to be speaking with Louise Rogers. She's chief of San Mateo County Health. Louise Rogers, thanks for being on KCBS In-Depth. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Uh, Going to start off with a quote from Dr. Morrow's statement, uh, again explaining his rationale in holding back on calling a stay-at-home order in San Mateo County, as uh, much of the rest of the Bay Area has at this point. Uh, he said, quote, When I look at the trend data, the Bay Area seems to mostly move as a region, and it seems to me to be pretty independent of individual health officers' actions, end quote. So, in that statement, seems to be suggesting that Dr. Morrow has doubts that health orders from individual counties are really making a big difference in determining the spread of this pandemic. Um, discuss, if you could, what role you think these health orders are playing in the pandemic response. Well, first of all, I think, make no mistake, we're really sounding the alarm about the vast increases in cases and what our residents can do to protect themselves and their loved ones. And we are fully behind the state order and the 15% uh, intensive care unit trigger that's that's built into that. Um, and we know uh, that we will shortly uh, be subject to that state order. Um, I, th I think what Dr. Morrow is really focused on is what activities will most impact the spread and prevent the spread. And his strong opinion, um, which is also based on the data that we see locally in San Mateo County regarding uh, where the spread is happening and when, what activities are driving it, um, is that it's the individual behaviors uh, that we can all adopt um, that will most prevent the spread uh, rather than the, the sector by sector closures. 
Um, and we know um, that that pandemic fatigue is real um, and that changing human behavior is, is pretty difficult. Um, and so uh, as he focused on how to have the clearest, most coherent and focused message uh, to the public about what would be most helpful at this crisis moment in time, he very much wanted to send a message that it's really about their behaviors. Uh, I think um, we know that pandemic fatigue is real and that motivating people to comply is one of the challenges that we have right now um, at this moment. Um, and that people are more likely to comply if they can maintain some personal control and make decisions that will have a positive impact on their own lives and on their loved ones. All right. And I just want to pick up briefly on uh, one of the points that you made earlier in that statement. You mentioned the 15% ICU threshold. Uh, again, just to remind listeners, that essentially means that when a region in California falls below 15% ICU capacity, that's an automatic trigger that, that they must enter the stay-at-home order. Uh, obviously, a number of counties in the Bay Area have moved more quickly before they hit that 15% threshold, but uh, that is uh, the rule set by the state. Uh, uh, would be helpful, actually, where is San Mateo County right now uh, in relation to that threshold? Uh, getting close to that 15% level? Well, the threshold will be met when the Bay Area hits 15%, and I think that we are very close to it, I would say, within um, days. Um, and San Mateo County's capacity um, has uh, been a little greater than that, but we're all part of the same ecosystem, and um, I believe we'll be um, under the state order quite shortly. All right. Well, that helps put into perspective where we are right now. You mentioned the role of personal responsibility a little bit earlier on. Uh, maybe this would be a good part in the conversation to discuss a little bit what you would like to see from residents, what sorts of things you think it's important for residents to keep in mind as we go into these uh, very difficult weeks. I, I think what's most important for the public to know is that we have a tough couple of weeks ahead of us, and it's coinciding with the holiday holidays when we most want to be together. Um, but we have some incredible good news on the horizon with the vaccines. Uh, we have movement on that front. And what we need to do uh, collectively and individually is to really take hope from that and allow, you know, increase our resolve to avoid gatherings. Um, in recent months, uh, people have, um, some people have created uh, social bubbles, you know, small groups that are actually outside of their own household. Um, we know people also have been thinking about their household safety. We really think the next three weeks is the time not to mix. It's the time to wear face covers and it's the time to not uh, delay if you have any concerns about exposure or uh, about um, symptoms that you may have. And that's the, that's the most important thing we can do. And that those personal behaviors are the ones where we most need the public to voluntarily and willingly adopt the change. It's, you know, these are not things that, that an order is going to cause to happen without personal motivation and our collective motivation. And that's what we're really asking from the public, especially the next three weeks. And it means that this holiday season is going to be tough, um, but with the hopeful news on the horizon of the vaccines, we're hoping that everyone can really rally. 
All right. Uh, speaking once again to Louise Rogers, chief of San Mateo County Health, about her county's decision to hold back on calling a mandatory stay at home order, as uh, much of the rest of the Bay Area has at this point. Uh, Want to talk about the issue of signaling, messaging, communication with the general public, because obviously a major challenge right now is communicating the gravity of the moment that we're in to the general public. And I just wonder if if not all counties are speaking with one voice on this issue, if, you know, San Mateo County is uh, moving in a slightly different direction, does that does that muddle the message to some extent? Uh, does it risk sending the message to residents in San Mateo County that, you know, things here aren't uh, really uh, all that dangerous when, you know, as we've been discussing, in fact, they very much are? Well, one of the things that we've been focused on in San Mateo County is communication, not just via the media, um, and not just via you know, print, but a network of community partners, including community leaders that um, work locally in the community. We contract with more than 30 organizations across San Mateo County who represent trusted community leaders to be vocal spokespeople for the message. And I don't think we're sending a message that it isn't a crisis. I think we're sending a message that is emphatically, what can you do to make a difference? And I, I think that enlisting community leaders, including the faith community, um, just the other day we had um, a, a virtual gathering of uh, close to 50 faith leaders from the peninsula. And you know, these are people who are speaking to their communities um, and can and really have a big influence on how people um, act locally. So. Um, I, I don't believe that our focus and our honing on the behaviors should in any, any way undermine the overall response. Um, it is about focus. It's not about um, undermining. And as I said, uh, we expect uh, that the state order will shortly take effect. We're fully behind it and uh, we'll comply with it. All right. Well, we only have about a minute left in this conversation, but in this time, uh, I want to put one more quote to you uh, from that statement, uh, again, from San Mateo County Health Officer Dr. Scott Morrow. Uh, In that statement, he points out that San Mateo County relaxed the spring lockdown orders earlier than other Bay Area counties and uh, said that in his view, very much as you've been suggesting throughout this conversation, uh, that the control the power to control this pandemic is in the hands of the general public. It's a it's a question of the personal decisions that we're all making, uh, our, our personal behavior. Uh, and then he went on to say, quote, just because one has the legal authority to do something doesn't mean one has to use it or that using it is the best course of action, uh, end quote. So seems to be suggesting a, a certain amount of reluctance to use some of these tools that are being used in other counties right now. Uh, just wondering, does that speak to Uh, a different philosophy uh, among health officials in San Mateo County at this moment? Well, I I think it's a widely held public health principle that all of our colleagues are are doing their best um, to follow, which is um, that every action that you take, particularly ones that in any way um, uh, confine people or, um, or, uh, constrict them, that, that the public health principle is really that you have to, to aim for a, a very specific response. You expect to get it, the data and the science are telling you that you will get that response. And I think in this case, uh, what's happening is just that as we look at the behavior of our community and how to engage them most effectively, 
to resolve the issues that are actually causing the spread, which as I said, were the gatherings, we're just really seeing that getting that behavior to change will be most impacted by um, you know, a clear, coherent, and simple response, you know, really focusing on three things that they can do, which is masking, particularly when talking, uh, insulating households, avoiding gatherings, and then um, taking action immediately to isolate and quarantine if you're concerned. So we're just trying to hone, and it is grounded in um, widely accepted um, public health uh, philosophy. Um, I just think that the complexity of the situation that we face is great and we're all trying to thread the needle and make the best decision based on our local data and um, reasonable people sometimes disagree. But we're moving on from this and uh, we're really focused on how to actually prevent the spread and, and support our hospital capacity to help people uh, when they need help. Yeah, well, certainly on that goal, the agreement is unanimous throughout the Bay Area. We have been speaking one last time to Louise Rogers, chief once again of San Mateo County Health. Louise Rogers, thanks so much. Thank you, Keith. You are listening to KCBS In-Depth, a weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Benconi. Today on the program, we've been discussing so far why different counties are taking different approaches to fighting this current surge. Up next, well, one of the most contentious decisions that health officers need to make, and a source of a lot of the disagreement we've been seeing, is the question of what gets shut down and what does not. For example, just this past week, state health officials reversed course on their decision to include playgrounds on the shutdown list. That reversal following widespread outcry from parents and some health experts. So what places and what activities really do pose the greatest transmission risk? We're going to be digging into what the science has to say so far with New York Times reporter Apoorva Mandavilli, who focuses on science and global health for the paper. Uh, Welcome to the program, Apoorva Mandavilli. Thanks for having me. So it's this constant question that health officials are facing right now. If you include that on the list, why not this? If you include this on the list, why not that? Uh, We just mentioned the example of playgrounds. In that case, the question that a lot of parents were asking was, you know, if we're shutting down playgrounds, which are outdoors, why are retail stores still open? Uh, But the list of tough calls is quite long. It also includes classrooms, outdoor dining, nail and hair salons, private gatherings. Uh, So hoping to take on some of those examples individually in uh, just a bit. But uh, before we get there, just broadly speaking, the first question that I want to put to you is how much has our understanding of how this virus is spreading improved over this last year? What do we know so far? We knew nothing about this virus at the beginning of the year, right? So we know tons more now than we did. And the biggest thing we've learned that affects the kind of restrictions that California is putting into place is that the risk from the virus is just much greater indoors than in any outdoor setting. And overall, I think that the restrictions California has put into place really reflect that. Um, You know, the emphasis everywhere that I can see seems to be on outdoor activities are okay. And playgrounds are really a big part of that. I think the decision to reverse um, keeping playgrounds closed was a really good one and in keeping with science. There are still a lot of unknowns, though. Uh, For example, uh, I know that you recently reported on private gatherings and uh, the question of how much those are contributing to the spread of this pandemic. Obviously, this is an area that 
public health officials around the country are very concerned about and have been warning us about for months and months and months now, whether we're talking about Thanksgiving dinners or whether we're talking about meetups between friends. Uh, even earlier in this program, we heard from San Mateo County uh, public health official Louise Rogers uh, about her concerns that these private gatherings really are something that's driving the transmission that she's seeing in her county. But it seems like the data here is a little bit more nuanced. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you've been finding. Yeah, as you pointed out, um, I reported on this recently, and I looked at data from several states where governors have been saying things like private gatherings are fueling the surge, are driving the surge, and the data really don't support that assertion. There's absolutely no question that private gatherings do contribute to community spread, But the idea that they are the primary driver, that's just not supported by the evidence. What um, I saw in the data that I was looking at is that the large number of cases are still coming from congregate indoor settings, um, nursing homes, prisons, meatpacking plants, and retail, restaurants, bars, all of those locations. So the idea that Um, You know, you getting together with a neighbor is directly causing this pandemic to spiral out of control is neither true nor is it particularly helpful because, you know, people are social creatures and shaming them into staying home is not really the solution here. Yeah, well, uh, private gatherings, uh, obviously a complicated topic and uh, one that our previous guest has some different views on. So uh, we're not going to get to the bottom of it right now, but I I guess the, the broader point that I want to get to here is just given the fact that there is still some uncertainty in the science, there is still a lot of complexity here. What are average members of the public to to make of all this as we look for the rules of the road, the ways to keep ourselves and those around us safe? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult. It's confusing with all this going on, is it not? It's absolutely confusing. And it's it's really difficult to figure out what the data is showing because every state collects information differently. Um, A lot of states have given up on doing anything resembling contact tracing. So it's really hard to figure out where somebody's infection really came from. And yet um, political leaders are making a lot of statements that suggest that they know exactly where it's coming from. And I don't think that's really true. So I think for the average person, what's important to know is that right now, the rates of, you know, the virus, the prevalence of the virus is pretty bad pretty much everywhere. And it's not safe to go to a big party. It's certainly not safe to go to a wedding or a funeral or any large gathering of people and definitely not indoors. Indoor dining is not safe. Uh, Bars are not safe. Um, None of those things are, are safe that you would, you know, basically where you would get together with somebody inside. But going for a walk outside with a neighbor when you're both masked, that's really pretty low in the level of risk. Right. Although uh, we should mention that the current health orders for uh, counties under the stay at home order right now, uh, gatherings between households are against the rules. So uh, folks should keep that in mind as well. Uh, And and I I suppose the message um, really shouldn't be disregard that that risk, but just um, it's more a message of what we put our emphasis on. That's right. It's, you know, when the virus is at the level that it's now just about every activity is loaded with risk. So there is almost nothing that's risk-free now because so many people have it. And I think the way that California has 
tried to do this by looking at the ICU capacity, it's not unreasonable because that's a, a, a very critical indicator of the state's ability to cope with the infections. So um, as I said at the beginning, overall, I think that the approach to uh, keeping outdoor activities open and really restricting indoor activities is the right one. Speaking once again to New York Times reporter Apoorva Mandavili about the various settings and locations and what risks they have as the virus continues to swirl through our communities. Uh, want to touch on some of the other uh, more controversial settings that a lot of people are pushing back against uh, the the restrictions that are now in place. In particular, a lot of people are uh, pr- probably one of the most controversial ones would be outdoor dining. I think that the consensus is pretty broad that indoor dining is a very risky activity and uh, most folks are okay with seeing that take a pause especially during the surge. But in the case of outdoor dining, the the information, the data is a little bit more mixed and uh, there are ongoing lawsuits trying to push back against uh, some of the rules here in California. What does the science have to say to help us sort through the question of is outdoor dining safe? I think outdoor dining is generally safe. Um, if you are, you know, really sitting outdoors, as in not in one of those zipped up containers that basically replicate indoor dining, uh, you're, you're actually sitting in an outdoor space with fresh air. You can see the sky. You're, the other people at the table can all see the sky. And you are in a uh, location where there is you know, some reasonable amount of circulation of air. It's really not unsafe um, for the most part. So um, I think indoor dining, as you said, is definitely not safe. And there was a study that just came out of uh, South Korea saying that in an indoor space, you can have um, you know, three people in the study got infected after an exposure of just five minutes because of the kind of ventilation that this restaurant had. So um, I think if people want to keep restaurants open, outdoor safe uh, dining is actually relatively safe. Of course, uh, they are closed in uh, stay-at-home order counties in California. Uh, at, at at the moment, I mean, if so, if the science is saying that it's safe, uh, but uh, the health orders are saying that it's closed, uh, what what does that speak to then? What what should um how, how should residents internalize that? I mean, I, I suppose in some ways, it's uh, just a, a signal that uh, we're being sent about the severity of the moment that we're in. I think so. I think you know, the very act of sitting down at the restaurant and having a meal might be safe, but. You have to get to the restaurant and then, you know, you may decide to do something else afterwards. The nature of socializing is such that, you know, you're not going to draw very clear lines around that one meal. So I think that, you know, idea is to just try to keep people at home as much as possible. So in the context of that, closing outdoor dining also does make sense. Um, And we know that, uh, you know, from early on in the pandemic, we know that takeout um, you know, meals are not really a risk. And so that's always been clear. And that's a decent option if all kinds of dining at restaurants is closed. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, well, let's talk about playgrounds since we brought it up. Uh, what, what do we know about uh, playgrounds and uh, the potential for them to increase transmission? Outdoor playgrounds are really minimal risk. The virus doesn't survive very long in sunlight. And as we've been saying, outside the virus is very quickly diluted in the air and poses very little risk to people and so closing playgrounds never really made sense and i think kids really need to be outside and really need to be around other kids and as long as um, parents can make sure that the kids are not you know in each other's faces smearing their snot on each other um, it should be relatively safe for kids to go outside and play in a playground 
So I think, um, you know, the pushback from parents uh, was absolutely right. And I'm really glad to see that the government changed its mind on that. Well, uh, speaking of kids smearing their snot on one another, uh, that's the, of course, the the horror image that a lot of people conjure up when they think of in-person schooling. But uh, and then that's something that's also become extremely controversial in the Bay Area. Unions, teachers unions on the one side, really wary of the risks that in-person schooling might pose and also angry, uh, saying that they have not gotten the sorts of supports and equipment that they need to make it safe. Uh, on the other hand, it does look like the data for the school districts that have opened seem to in- indicate that there really has not been that much of an increase in the spread, uh, again, for places that have already taken that plunge. This is probably one of the most complicated aspects of this pandemic, is what role do kids play? And the data on this are really still not crystal clear. But as you said, so far, it does seem like schools um, are not really super spreader sites and that elementary school kids, at least, are not really spreading the virus very efficiently. However, you do have to bear in mind that in a lot of these schools, kids are spaced apart, you know, that not everybody is back at school. And so there's some natural physical distancing that's been put in place. And a lot of schools are also doing, you know, hybrid plans. The number of kids overall in school is lower. Um, In a lot of places, kids are wearing masks. And that's one of the things that Americans have discovered. Our kids can actually learn to wear masks. And that's, you know, it's doable. Um, As you pointed out, I think the teachers unions are nervous for very legitimate reasons because there really has not been support from governments to provide the PPE that they need, the the protective equipment, uh, whether that's masks or other things to, you know, uh, regular testing in order to be um, back at school safely. But it's it's a really complicated issue. And I think California keeping schools open has made it clear that kids are a priority and kids being at school is a priority. And I I do agree with that overall. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as you indicated, a lot of uh, really difficult questions in that area going forward. Uh, Just a couple more areas uh, that I want to touch on with you. Um, Another another area that has seen a little bit of back and forth over the last week is just how many people should be allowed in supermarkets. At first, there was uh, they lowered the density cap, the uh, the capacity for supermarkets to only 20 percent of normal capacity. Uh, That has since been increased to 35 percent. There was uh, I, I believe a lot of concern about the long lines that might uh, be caused by that and uh, some people having a hard time getting access to food. So uh, does the science give us any indication of, yeah, and we're talking about pretty marginal stuff at this point, the difference between 20, uh, 20%, 35%. Does the science give us any guidance in, in understanding what that marginal difference might mean? I mean, overall, the fewer people, the better. You know, it's really hard to Um, make any sort of statements about what a particular grocery store or retail store should do because so much depends on how good their ventilation is. That's one really key thing we've learned during this pandemic is that indoor ventilation just becomes hugely important. So are the doors to the grocery store open or do they have a really good ventilation system where that, you know, exchanges the air inside pretty regularly um, you know, how high are the ceilings? How how many people can it accommodate without people having to bump into each other or having to be very close to each other for long periods of time? There are just so many questions there. So obviously, when you don't know all the specifics, you want to err on the side of having as few people inside at a time as possible. 
And I guess in in, in closing, uh, just uh, some closing thoughts. Uh, There's obviously a lot more settings uh, that we uh, have not been able to get through. But I I suppose as a rule of thumb, you know, you're you're talking about erring on the side of caution. Is it fair to say that where the science is right now, a lot of these questions just are really difficult to answer. And so at times when it seems like the rules are overcautious, it's just, you know, as you said, erring on the side of caution is the prudent thing to do when you don't fully understand how the virus is spreading. Yes, absolutely. It's also the prudent thing to do when the virus is at the levels that it is now. It would be different if we were having this conversation in the summer and we were talking about, you know, what what is a safe thing to do. The risks become completely different when the entire country looks purple in that map of prevalence. Um, We are dealing with, you know, caseloads that we've never even imagined. And at this point, yes, I think we all need to be thinking about being cautious. I mean, on the flip side, in the last few days, we've seen miraculous news about vaccines. So we're really talking about a matter of a few more weeks, a few more months before we can, you know, get at the vaccine and feel much safer. So we just have to hang in there for just a little bit longer. All right. Well, we always like to end the show on a note of optimism. And so we are going to end it there. We have been speaking today to New York Times reporter Apoorva Mandavili, who focuses on science and global health. Apoorva Mandavili, thanks so much for being on KCBS In Depth. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next time. Listening to KCBS in depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit KCBSRadio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.